Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittiman This is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives Excited to have Jackie Kirshner on the show today She's here to talk all things nutrition. I love these nutrition episodes. We try to do them once every two to three months or so. Jackie has all the qualifications needed to give high-quality advice on this topic, not only as a dietary professional, but also as a runner and someone who's worked with a lot of endurance athletes. And we threw a little curveball at the end here, something that I like to do uh, on occasion. This was a lot of fun. I'm going to start doing this in more episodes. We played a little game at the end called Is It Real or Is It Fake? And I was giving her names of supplements. Some of them were true. Some of them were not true. And we played a little game. And it was uh, it was hard. <laughs> it was a hard one. Uh, kudos to Jackie for being a good sport and, and having fun with that one. I do want to say we do talk a lot about Race day nutrition in this episode. Uh, also, we talk a lot about salt intake and why it's important and what electrolytes are and all of those things. And, and um, I do want to say in that conversation, I mentioned that in some of the gels that I take and I prefer goo. That's always worked well for me. I talked about how some of them have like really high, like a thousand milligram um you know, salt in them or sodium in them. That was not true. <laughs> I went back and looked at my goos today uh, for my long run, and they some of them do have sodium in them, which can be helpful, but it was more like 50 milligrams. Uh, what I had actually done is I was um, confusing it with the amino acid content in some of the goos. So my fault on that one. However, everything else in here is right on the money, in large part due to Jackie's expertise. So let's get into it with Jackie Krishner. All right, we are here with Jackie Kirshner. We love doing these episodes. We get the dietitians coming in once every month or two. I know everyone listening is such a fan of these episodes, as am I. Jackie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm really excited to be here. I am so excited for you to be here as well, especially in the running world or just athletics in general. Um, from a controversy standpoint, there is no easier way to stir it up than talking about nutrition and diet and food people should eat and so on and so forth. Forget religion and politics. This is really <laughs> the third rail with all of that stuff. So we'll get into it today. But with that said, before we do, Jackie, would you just mind giving us a little, you know, tutorial on just your educational background and experience before we dive into stuff into this? Because I know for everybody, they want to make sure they're taking recommendations from people that they can trust. Yes. So I am a licensed registered dietitian. I have been a dietitian since 2013. I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Um, go Badgers. I have a master's degree from the University of Alabama, and I did my internship. So all dietitians are required to do 1,200 hours of supervised practice and then take an exam. So I did that through Viterbo University in La Crosse, Wisconsin. So I uh, that's my educational background. And then, of course, as a fellow runner, I have a lot of experience background as well, <laughs> just practicing what I'm what I'm doing with people. Absolutely. And then you work with clients now Has it been, uh, from a private perspective. Yes, I have. So approximately, oh, not even quite two years now, I've been working 
and pivoting to working with runners and endurance athletes and, you know, having been in the running space for several years and seeing a difference in my own performance and helping my husband out with it and just really enjoying the sport. I was like, you know, this would be really fun to do professionally as I was working more in a clinical role in the nutrition world. So I wanted to combine my passion with my interest and my knowledge, and it's been amazing. Now, has you have you found working with your husband to be one of the easier collaborations or one of the harder ones? Because I can feel like he can go either <laughs> way when, you, when, you're, when you're so close to somebody uh, and then you're trying to navigate that process. So with him, luckily, it's actually been pretty easy. Um, he, when we first started dating, he like didn't have a great diet. He was very open, but he rarely ate vegetables and kind of had the college guy sort of ramen noodle mac and cheese diet. And it's basically 180 degrees different now. So he's been good. I can't say the same thing about everyone else in my family. They just kind of say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. They'll ask me for my opinion or my recommendation. And then they'll be like, but you're wrong about that. <laughs> so... My husband is great. <laughs> That's the thing about food, right? Like my wife's a teacher and it's like everyone has, everyone's gone through school. So everyone has opinions about school, whether or not they're, you know, licensed to, you know, actually put those opinions into practice. Obviously, everyone eats food and you're right. going to have opinions when you do something, you know, three to eight times a day. And I can yep. imagine you being like, you know, just because you eat food doesn't mean you're an expert on food. Exactly. Just because it works for you doesn't mean it works for everyone or that, that, that there's evidence out there that it works for everyone. But people do get passionate. So that's for sure. And we don't know what we don't know. Just because something is working for you doesn't mean something might not be working better. And I can understand reticence to want to change if something is working. But obviously, you know, while we're all in N of one to some degree, at the same time, if we don't you know, do the trials here and there. Sometimes we don't know how good things could be if we don't don't give things a shot. You mentioned just a second ago the vegetable intake. This is a question I forgot to send to you, but we're going to just dive right in. We actually had someone over on Instagram respond to a poll I did, too, poll, but uh, you know, asked for questions two weeks ago. Someone asked, like, "Hey, I want to, you know, increase my vegetable intake, and I'm just having trouble like inserting it into my daily, you know, whether it's routine or diet." And when I say diet, let me just put it this way. I say that I'm just talking about the things people are eating. I'm not referring to some sort of regimented routine of restriction or what have you. So um, that was a question that someone asked and they were uh, they, they wanted some help. So here you are. You've done this with your husband. How, what's a way that people can start integrating more vegetables into their daily diet? Um, we'll start with the ones that you know that you like um, and make a plan to have them. You know, make sure that you go and buy them from the store and that you plan time to prepare them and you plan time to, you know, actually cook them. Um, a lot of people have all these great intentions of actually eating more vegetables, but then they don't do any of the steps that they need in order to actually eat them. Like it's going to be hard to eat more vegetables if you don't buy them <laughs> or take the time to prepare them. So that's one thing that's just seems obvious, but I think a lot of people forget um, another thing is just, there's lots of ways that you can sneak in extras. Like if, a if you're making food and a recipe calls for half of a green pepper, like put the whole thing in, uh, what are you going to do with half of the pepper, you know, um, or add extra than what it calls for. Um, 
you can puree vegetables and add them to sauces or soups or curries um, or plan meals that have a lot of vegetables naturally, like stir fries, um, salads, power bowls, you know, things like that. Um, Try different ways to eat them. You can have raw veggies. You might like them roasted. You might like them steamed. So keep experimenting. Add some sauces. Make it interesting and fun. There you go. Yeah, because I know for me, I always think of vegetables as like part of my dinner. Yeah. And like if I have a vegetable outside of dinner, it's like, wow, I am a hero. Look at me. <laughs> Look at me go. Nailing, nailing nutrition all the way around. But all that's like all the way around. But that's really like that's for me. I know that that's like that's part of my routine. Like, yeah, well, of course we're having vegetable for dinner. But then like I don't even think to incorporate it on the other, you know, basically the other 23 and a half hours per day. I guess if I, if I don't sleep, it's 23 and a half hours. But <laughs> um, so there are there's certain like foods that you have either found for yourself or for your husband or just, you know, in the course of interacting with with folks over time that like are the, these people like, you know, are a fan of these from a snack food perspective or maybe just not in a less structured environment as opposed to like, hey, as part of dinner, I will do X more just kind of like spontaneous or snacky or other ways to, to fit it in. Yeah, I like to stock my fridge with ready to eat veggies that I could just grab. So I like to buy like pre-washed and pre-cut broccoli or sugar snap peas or cauliflower or those mini baby bell peppers, cherry tomatoes, the little mini cucumbers, baby carrots. Those are easy to grab for snacks. You add some hummus. It's tasty. You can throw them in a lunch bag or, uh, you know, whatever. Keep them stocked in the fridge and they're ready to go. And they're so convenient. It's, you know... If if something needs to be washed and cut, you're it's going to take extra effort, so you're not as likely to do it. But if all you have to do is open up the bag, I mean that's just as easy as opening up a bag of chips. So I love this because you know the the cost of the convenience is real, right? So you like the things that you mentioned, they do cost more at the grocery store, and it's, I think it's so easy, especially when we go into the grocery store with the best of intentions, to be like, well, I'm not going to pay extra for this. I'll just get this other thing. Because I'm going to save money. Mm-hmm. But if you don't use the other thing, then you just wasted your money. Right. right. So so spend the extra dollar, the extra dollar 25 on something you're going to use instead of being like, well, I spent $3 on this other thing, but I never used it and I just threw it away on Tuesday night, you know, before the Wednesday trash man comes. Right. So it's like you end up you end up doing this weird kind of like, or at least I, I will speak to myself. I will occasionally do this kind of weird budgetary gymnastics to say, oh, I'm not going to get this thing that is obviously more convenient because it costs more because I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And then I never do X, Y, Z. So I ultimately actually wasted more money by buying the cheaper thing. Yeah. A lot of times that happens where people will, you know, buy things and then it just ends up getting moldy and they throw it in the trash. Or you also have to think about the time that it takes to prepare it. Um, If it's going to take you five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes, how much is your time worth? You know, like that's pretty valuable too. It might be worth more than, you know, $1.25 that it's going to cost extra to buy it already prepared for you. So, you know, if you've got the time and you like to do it, like to do it, you know, go for it. But if you don't, then pay for the convenience. I love it. See, I've already gotten something out of this, right? This, this realization, right, is huge for me because, like, again, I'll go to the grocery store again with the best of intentions, and then I almost never live up to them. 
right? And it's just like, oh, what was I doing this whole time? I feel like I can do the same thing with like yard work. It's like, I don't need to pay someone to do that. I will do that. And then like Saturday morning comes, I'm like, I am not doing that. I'm going to skimp on that. Um, all right. Let's dive into some more questions because we had a bunch of good ones that came through and you are the person to talk to about this. Right now, we are within, we are in or close to, for a lot of people, marathon taper season. Right. And marathon taper is very different than if someone does a 5K taper. That's what? That's 36 hours. Half marathon is not a lot more than that. Um, you, know, you just need a day or two and then you're going to be fresh enough to do, you know, your hour and a half or two hour half marathon. So marathon is a very different thing. And a lot of people can get a little funky with food choices during the taper because they know they're decreasing their mileage by a third to a half. And there's that element of like, all right, I'm already getting stir crazy. And then your, your body changes, like your, your body's just going to feel different during taper time, right? So like there's, there's that element before we even dive into the food, like your body's going to feel different during taper, even if you nail the nutrition side. Yeah. And your mind too, because your <laughs> mind is, <laughs> you're excited, but <laughs> nervous. Yeah, that's tough. And I know for some people, especially if say they got into running with the idea of weight loss, the idea of like, hey, if I'm running half as much, maybe I don't need to fuel up as much. Because, and even if they, they, even if they're not viewing it from a restriction standpoint, they might just view it as like simple input output stuff. Like if I'm only burning, you know, it used to be X and now it's X minus 800 calories, well, then maybe I should just eat 800 less calories or things like that. So when you're talking to athletes who are about to enter their taper and they're asking questions about how or if their fueling strategy should change during that week, how do you approach it? So the week leading up to the marathon is not a good time to drastically cut down on your food intake. Like you, just like you're giving your body extra rest and time to recover so that you are fresh, you want to give your body enough energy so that you can give it your all come race day, whether that's, you know, a PR effort, a BQ effort, or it's just, Hey, I want to finish this and feel good. So I don't tell people that they need to eat more, but you do need to eat more carbs. But again, it's not a great time to go and restrict your intake. If you do that, you're going to miss out on this great opportunity to actually fuel up and be prepared to tackle that race. I mean, regardless of what your goal is, you want to finish feeling, you know, good, at least decent, right? Marathons are hard enough without hitting a wall. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's 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 understandable from like a if someone is coming from a background of like maybe they haven't gone through the marathon process before process before, it's easy to see like the the logical fallacy that they're endeavoring on, upon with the whole like intake out, you know, input output type math, right? They're approaching, they're eating as a math problem. Um, but it also, first of all, you know, you're, you're recovering from your training, right? Which I would think would be a major reason why you want to keep that food intake up as well, just because the whole point of the taper isn't simply to get ready for race day, but to recover from the training that you've just endured for the last, you know, six to 12 weeks. Right. And oftentimes those heaviest weeks are right before the taper. So you've, just coming off of your highest mileage, your body really does need time to recover and repair. A lot of times people will talk to me and they're like, why am I so hungry on a rest day? Don't I need to eat less? And I'm like, no, don't eat less. It's just one day. Like 
your body, when you're hungry, your body is asking for food and fuel and nutrients to help it recover. It's normal for it to be just as hungry. I'm like, I'm always really hungry on a rest day. So I understand the logic behind it, but, or the way people think about it, but that doesn't mean that's how you should approach it. Right. Which is why it's something we need to talk about a lot. Because yeah. because it's easy to see why someone could stumble into that fallacy and why it needs to be corrected, right? As opposed to some other things where it's like, hey, no, you know, so there's some there's some situations where you're like, oh, no reasonable person would think X, Y, Z. We don't really need to address that. This is on the other end of the spectrum, where even a reasonable person could maybe miss the point here on that topic. Um, when it comes to taper nutrition and nutrition before race day begins, and and, and you know, during the race as well, one thing that we've talked a little bit more about on this show the last month or two, and I really want to address here, is electrolyte and salt intake. And just from a sweating perspective, how this can this is a, a vital topic, but one that is so independent for each person, not independent, but like for each person needs to address this in a different way and it can be very different for each person. So can you just talk a little bit about what electrolytes are? Because we hear about them like in the Gatorade commercials and things like that. So we're, we know it's important. We've all heard about it because we all have TVs and internet, but like what are electrolytes? And then we'll dive into like why they're important for running or for exercise in general. And then the, 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 Basically, the, the personal situation of like why each person's needs on this topic can be wildly different. Yeah. So electrolytes are sodium, chloride, potassium, magnesium, calcium. Did I say that? So they're minerals um, found in food and in our blood, and they help us maintain hydration as well as um, several other different processes in the body. So they're just vitally necessary. Um, and we lose electrolytes in our sweat. So the when you sweat, it's more than just water. Like, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You said you have a dog. Sometimes after a really hard run, I come home, I'm really sweaty and my dog comes over and she just wants to lick my skin because I'm super salty. <laughs> I've, I've definitely experienced that for sure. And then, <laughs> then some people, they just get on their clothes. You can see like the oh, yeah. the dried, like, you know, crystallization that happens on, especially in dark clothes is really easy to see. Yeah. Sometimes it really does show up on your skin, your clothes, you know, you like wipe your face and you're like, oh, I'm just crusty. Um, so you're losing a lot more than just water and your sweat. You're losing electrolytes. The main one that you're losing is salt or sodium and chloride, but um, the amount that people lose is very different. Like we all sweat at different rates, especially depending on the weather and uh, the intensity of the exercise. You know, you're going to sweat a lot differently in 40 degrees when it's, you know, just an easy run versus when it's 75 degrees and you're going out for tempos or intervals. Um, And then different people have different sweat rates and they lose electrolytes at different rates as well. So, but you can you lose, you know, a couple grams worth of salt um, on a long run in the summer. So yeah, you, you lose a lot of sweat and you lose a lot of salt. And so we need to replace that salt along with water in order to rehydrate properly. Right. So people sweat at different rates and they sweat out electrolytes at different rates. So you have to see two people 
that weigh the same amount. They weigh themselves before the run and after the run. They have the same nutrition on the run. And one, and they basically like, they could say, all right, we, we sweated the same amount, right? We each lost four pounds on that run. And we all had the same intake from a weight perspective during the run. But one person might lose 50% more sodium than the other person did. Now, for the person who's losing more salt and say they're not replenishing it the way that they should, what does that mean uh, in regards to their performance potentially? Uh, so they're probably a lot more likely to have some cramping, um, like muscle cramps. Um, performance could start to go down, potentially some fatigue or lethargy, but um, probably just overall you're not going to feel very well. <laughs> You know, I know what there was one time that I believed that I got really low in electrolytes and I just felt very, very nauseous. So that's how it manifests for me. Um, but I would say one of the more common uh, things that people experience is muscle cramps. Yeah. And I know we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that we have like, you know, our glucose and our blood sugar at a, at a certain level and the calories at a certain level when we're exercising, especially when we're going on long runs or we're doing the marathon, uh, making sure that you know, we're never going to be one-to-one from a calorie input output during a race, but basically as much as we can. We talk about this all the time on the show. How much should I have on the run during a marathon? As much as you can eat. <laughs> have, as, have as much as you can. Um, you're still going to be in a deficit. So uh, as much as you can take in. Um, when it comes to, say there's certain, say there's certain folks who are listening to this, and they're like, you know what, you know, I think I think salt is my issue. I am cramping despite, you know, doing really good training and making sure that I'm prepared. And, you know, when I do come back from a run, I am wicked salty. I get it all over my clothes more than other people that I run with, so on and so forth. Um, have you experimented or had any of your clients experiment with any of like, say, the Gatorade salt patch or basically like the the non lab focused salt measurements? Um, I have not tried the Gatorade salt patch or sweat patch myself. I had a couple clients that tried it and I don't think anyone has had good results, to be honest. Okay. Like they just either that when they scanned it, when it was done, it just didn't work or they got some goofy result, like no sweat loss and they were sweaty. So <laughs> I don't know. That's like, that's like Garmin telling you you're unproductive after the 20 mile run. You're like, no, I just <laughs> right. wrong. Like, screw you, Garmin. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I would like to try it myself just to see if it was only like 25 bucks for two of them. So it's not that much. But then again, maybe you just get what you pay for as compared to the actual lab tests that actually analyze it. I'm excited for some of these to, to actually be useful because this is a really good thing to know. And I feel like once it you is. get it late, once you get it nailed down, so you have to test it all the time. Like you'd be like, all right, this is where I am. This is where I can just move forward with this. Um, so let's talk about pre-race. Okay, we're talking about racing, but obviously this stuff would pertain to like long runs as well. But um, from, so you have someone who, Makes who is it's uh, Im- imperative that they maintain their certain salt level because of their uh, either their sweat rate and or their electrolyte loss, uh, which is common for them in a race setting. When should that start figuring into their dietary choices, and what are some dietary adjustments that they can make to make sure that they're setting themselves up for success? I usually have people start by adding extra salt to their food the night before a long run or the night before a race. Just eat, you know salt your food or eat some extra salty foods. You know, you can have pretzel use pretzels, you can have uh soup because broth and soups tend to be really high in sodium. Um 
cheese if cheese is something you can take before. Yeah, Wisconsin. Wisconsin's coming out now. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I know that's not right for everyone, though. Um, (laughs) So um, deli meat is if you're if you're a meat eater, that's really high in salt. Um, Yeah. So pickles, olives, um, condiments tend to be really high in sodium as well. If you if you want to get like a stir fry with a bunch of rice and um, put some soy sauce on it, you're like you're going to get lots of salt that way. Um, and then I would do some the morning of as well, you know, whether that's in food again, or if you do like a hyperhydration sort of beverage um, or salt tabs, um, but typically I have people start the night before and then morning of as well. All right. Let's talk about during the race or basically like you know, an hour before the race leading in through the race. Um, the caveat here obviously is try this stuff in training first. Yes. With that said, with that said, say someone's like, hey, I know I need to do this, but I'm not sure how to apply some of it or or whatever. And I say this because I know there's a, seemingly a million ways to get this sort of, to get to increase your electrolyte consumption on race day in terms of like whether not just simply different kinds of products, but like whether it's coming in through the gel or through the sports drink or through the other million ways of doing this, what are just some of the, the best practices that you've seen in terms of again 45 minutes leading up to the start line and then through the race, just to make sure people are getting the proper amount and the different ways that they can install that into their fueling plan. Um, you know, like 45 minutes before a race might be a really good time to have like a sports strength that's more like an endurance type formula that has some extra salt. And if you know you lose a lot of salt or you're extra salty sweater, you're prone to cramping, you might just want to even sprinkle some extra into it. But um, something like Gatorade endurance is going to have more sodium than regular Gatorade. Um, but obviously, I mean, there's tons of different products out there. There's Tailwind, there's Scratch. Scratch has a hyperhydration that has even extra salt. Um, but the benefit of using a product like that is you're also getting a little bit of simple carbohydrates to just stop up, top off your energy stores before you get going on the race. And you're probably a little bit thirsty, a little bit nervous, hard to eat when you're real nervous. I know for me it can be. So if you can drink something, then you're getting a little bit of everything. <laughs> Absolutely. And most people will be running with some sort of gels in their pocket, whether it's the goo, the goo roctane, you have some people who do tailwind, you got Morton, there's a, you know, a bevy of brands to choose from. I'm familiar with goo because that's always worked well for me. And they're kind of omnipresent in a lot of different stores. So they're easy to pick up. And one thing that you can tell if you start really examining what's in them and it's right on the label, it's it's really labeled for pretty well is you can get wildly different uh, electrolyte amounts in some of these. So I, you know, I, I can see the difference. I can look at one, look at another and see like, Oh, this one has 500 more milligrams, but I don't even know what that means in terms of like the actual effect that that difference may have. So what are like, in terms of just measuring out, you know, electrolytes and salts and whatever, um, what are some valuable things to know just in terms of like how much someone may lose, like from a range perspective and how much, is a meaningful amount in some of these uh, race day nutrition products. So people can lose, like like I mentioned, insanely different amounts of electrolytes and salt in their sweat. But, you know, I've read anywhere from like 400 to 700 milligrams of sodium for every like one pound you lose. 
you know, it kind of depends on whether you're, you train in really hot and humid conditions because then your body's better acclimatized, acclimatized, whatever, you know what I mean? (laughs) Your body knows, um, has, has gotten used to it. Um, and if you're well-trained, but I mean, if over the course of three, four, five hours in a marathon, I mean, you could be losing several pounds worth of sweat. So, I mean, we're talking several grams potentially of sodium. So if you don't know how much and you, you lose, um, I just, I guess I kind of start with like, let's see if we can get at least 300 to 500 milligrams of sodium per hour. Um, some people, you know, ideally we start with that in training and we, you know, modify depending on how well you do. Um, but you might need to take sports drinks and salt chews. Um, you might need to make sure you're getting the gels that have the extra sodium and electrolytes. You know, you might need a combination of things. Um, you might need to even add extra salt. Like now there's, uh, what's it called? Element that has like a gram of salt per, per packet. So, right. I think element is one of those newfangled companies, which I'm sure they're great, but just from a spelling perspective, if you look, if you just Google element, you're not going to find it. It's L M N T. So yep. <laughs> Element, uh, if you're looking for it, um, I know they sponsor some other shows that I listen to. I think Jason Fitzgerald has like a million Element packets <laughs> behind him when he, when he does his podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, I know people do enjoy that. And I think their products are sugar-free, which I'm not advocating sugar-free racing nutrition. But if you've already dialed in your glucose intake, adding Element to it or something like that, you might be like, okay, I'm adding this, but I'm not increasing the the, the sugar amount, which is might be good for you because you've already dialed in that aspect of your, of your game day nutrition. Right. You could have uh, figured out exactly what gels or chews or whatever works perfect for you, but most of them don't have enough salt and other electrolytes. So we need it from a different source. So if you like, I like goo, I'm going to stick with goo. I'm going to get all of my carbohydrates and sugars and calories from goo that you don't want to do any sports drink, then yeah, adding just a basically a salt sugar-free drink could be a great way to get those electrolytes in. Absolutely. And then, you know, if you, if you, at that point, this is when you really have to say like, all right, these are my gels. And you might be like, might be thinking, Hey, I don't want to stick with just one flavor the whole time. I like to vary it up from a flavor perspective, but oftentimes the different flavors also have different ingredients in terms of, you know, the sugar is usually fairly similar, but you maybe have different, uh, wildly different potentially um, salt amounts in some of these. So make sure that you plan out, right? Like when do you use this and maybe in conjunction with what, right? So you might have one that has like 700 milligrams of salt in it. Maybe you can have water with that one that hour or you know, the opposite, right? You could have one that has little and also be like, you better be having this with a sports drink or, uh, or something like that. One thing that I see around a lot now, um, is you see stuff like the, the, the like pickle juice, like so they, <laughs> they, they, they seem to be omnipresent salt stick. You have different like salt tablets have been around for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not super familiar with these. So would you mind just shedding light on how these could play a part in someone's Racing nutrition and why they may be a valuable component in addition to the goos and, and, and um, the gels. Yeah. So like I said, a lot of uh, goos and gels don't have enough sodium in them. I mean, like you said, they do vary widely, um, but many of them just are a little bit too low in salt um, and electrolytes 
to be used on their own with just water. So like salt, salt stick, for example, they've got tablets and chews that will give you those, the salt and some other smattering of electrolytes, a little bit of potassium, magnesium, et cetera, so that you do, you can get your electrolytes, um, without, you know, like a sports drink. Um, there's different brands of electrolyte tablets as well. I mean, it's not just salt stick. I think, um, Endurolite Gatorade has one as well. So, I mean, there's a couple different options. Um, Pickle juice is going to be high in salt too. I would just drink straight up pickle juice rather than buy it. But and I would wait till after. I don't know personally. I don't think I could stomach pickle juice during a race. But that's just me. Yeah, it's like our ultra marathon friends might have to imbibe some of that at one of their aid stations as opposed to like drinking on the run. Right. <laughs> oh God. I, I mean, I almost didn't want to bring it up because I'm like just the idea of it. I mean, pickles are fine, but I'm not one of those people who's like you know, snaps open a pickle, a pickle container every day and starts chowing down. Um, Oh, see, I could. I have loved pickles my whole life. I could just sit and eat pickles. Um, But pickle juice on, especially on a run, I don't think I could do. Yeah, that's definitely something you don't want to try on race day. I can see (laughs) that turning your insides out if you were uh, not ready for it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, don't do anything new on race day, especially something like that. All right, let's talk about food choices. So an hour before the race, this is something that comes up for people like at Boston, right? People head over to Athletes Village. They're there, you know, quite a bit before the race, right? So maybe they're eating in their hotel room or whatever, or they're taking their bagel with them on the bus. But then they get to the race, they get to Athletes Village, they're there an hour ahead of time, and they want to have a little bit more, a little more sustenance before the race. um, And they just have a lot of time on their feet. And, you know, during that time. So what are some foods that um, really fit the bill for that kind of thing? And what are some of the, I guess before we talk about the foods, what are some characteristics of foods that are a good fit for something, you know, that close to the start of a race? So of course you want to do something that's really easy on your stomach. You know, you're about to race hard and you don't want all the blood to go to your stomach. You want it to go mostly to your muscles so that you can race hard and you don't want any gut aches or anything like that. So choose foods that you're really familiar with, that you've eaten several times before, that are easy for you to digest. Um, For most people, um, that's going to be pretty low in fiber uh, type of options because fiber can take a little bit more work to digest. Um, That close to the race, you don't want to have anything too high in fat. It just empties from our stomach real slowly um, probably don't want to have a whole lot of protein either. So some good options, especially portable ones. I mean, you could try fruit snacks, you could try applesauce in like the little squeezy packs. You could do bananas. You could bring an extra bagel. Um, a lot of people like the honey stinger waffles or, you know, whatever similar brand, um, fruit snacks. Did I say that? Um, I've, I've seen, um, what's it called? The, uh, Oh, you put them on. They're, I'm losing my mind here. Use them for s'mores. Graham crackers. Mar- oh, graham crackers. Yeah. yeah. You could do graham crackers. You get like the little Teddy Grahams. Get like a little, you know, kid-sized lunch lunchbox bag. Mm-hmm. That would be really nice and portable. Um, 
I've talked to people that do Pop-Tarts or sugar cookies, um, Fig Newtons, pretzels. So you can get a little fun with this. This doesn't have to be something that's like super boring and like plain bagel for me it is. Like, I mean, obviously you can go that route and maybe plain bagel isn't boring for you, but you could be a little, have a little fun with it if you feel confident that it's going to digest okay. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't have to be super boring. But I would say practice before race day, just in case. There you go. And one thing that I've done in the past, and I don't know if you would advise it or not, or maybe there are certain cases when you would advise it versus not others, is I like to have a gel like at the starting line, mm-hmm. like right before the race starts. I don't know if that's best practices or not. I guess this is more of like a Matt Chittam question than <laughs> the broader audience. <laughs> no, um, I've definitely had people do that beforehand. I'll tell them to take a gel within like 15 minutes of the race. Okay. I know it says it on the package. So I was like, oh, I'll give it a try. And it worked out for me. I was going to say, I didn't have any negative consequences. So I just assumed it was fine. Yeah. I mean, it's a simple carbohydrates. It's going to be absorbed quickly and digested easily. And, you know, yeah, just assumed you practice with it during, you know, long runs. So it's going to go down pretty well. So I've, I've told people to do that as well. I like that. Okay. We talked about salt intake the night before. The eponymous part of marathoning is the carbo loading aspect. Yes. So first of all, what does that mean? And what are some things that we need to know? And maybe we'll talk about what are some things that like actually aren't relevant that are maybe perpetuated from time to time. So I think when people think of carb loading, they think of the big pasta dinner the night before. And that can be part of it. Sure. But True carb loading is a several-day process that takes place well before, just the night before. So for a marathon, we're talking three to five days. I usually aim for four days with people. And it's it's carb-heavy, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. Again, it's not necessarily eating more food, but it's replacing some of your food with more carbs. So, um, you know, extra slice of toast. At breakfast, um, bigger portion of pretzels at lunch, lunch or more rice at dinner, whatever it is. Um, it also doesn't have to be pasta. There's so many different types of carbohydrates out there that you can eat. Like um, it's not just a, a big pasta fest. But I think what people need to know is that it's um, several day process, and you start. I mean, it's heavy carbs the whole way, but you really just do ramp up the carbohydrates every day so that the day before the race, like that's most of what you're eating, like 70, 75% of your calories are coming from carbohydrates. And you want to stick with ones that you're familiar with, that you've eaten before, that are easy to digest, that you know that you don't have any stomach issues with. Like, again, it's not, not the time to try new food. It's can be tough on when you travel for a race and you go to a new city and you want to try a new place, new restaurant or new cuisine that maybe isn't available in your hometown, but save that for after the race. <laughs> That's a great point. Okay. We're going to play a new game here on the Rambling Runner podcast. I I told you guys about this in the intro. I'm really excited about this. Um, with all due respect, Jackie, I came up with this idea 90 seconds before we started recording. I was I was Googling furiously to come up with some good ones. We're going to do, is this an actual supplement or did Matt just make this up? We need a new title for that. But is, is it real or is it fake? Is it real or fake? Okay, I'm ready. First one, Jackie Kirshner. 
Okay. All right. Let's see here. I have I have two I have two I have two little things on my screen open. One of fake names, one of real names. First one, Lean Dreams. Is that a real supplement or a fake supplement? Uh I'm gonna guess real. Ding ding ding! Nailed it. Lean uh. dreams. <laughs> that sounds like something that would sell. Like I can think of. I feel like people would buy that. <laughs> Lean. This is the description. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Lean dreams is an interesting name for a sleep aid, as is almost suggests that all you have to do is dream about being lean and compel. Fat is gone. Obviously, that is not the case. So on and so forth. This is like a parody website making fun of lean dreams, but I think that was a good one. All right. That is a good one. <laughs> Next one. Nuclear garbage. Oh, I hope that's fake. Eh. Nuclear garbage is real. No. Oh yes, my God. It is. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? All right. Let's see here. It's, it it's sounds toxic. Just, I mean, yeah, it, it really does. Um, it's like a drinks drink mix pack. It's, oh, it's a pre-workout mixture. So people who aren't lifters might not know pre-workout is like basically something that gets you hopped up with so much energy that you want to go smash weights. Um, and nuclear garbage is one of them. Oh, great. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Next one. Vita Vermont or Vita Vermont. Uh, I think real. Vita Vermont is not real, but it sounds nice, right? It sounds like it's, Athletic Greens. Yeah. A Vita Vermont. Vita. Yeah. It's like vital. It kind of sounds like it could be real. Right. You know, the Vita is like vital. Maybe it has that sense of like some sort of vegetable in it. Yeah. Right. Or like necessary. Like you need this. Yes. It's absolutely. vital for you. And we made it in Vermont just for you. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that. I can I can imagine that that might even be out there now. Maybe someone saw this like saw this list of like names that didn't exist. We're like, you know what? That's the name that we need to go with. That's perfect for us. Right? You know, we're they didn't even have to do any like of their own thinking. They just went to this place and they're like, oh, I'm gonna steal that. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> Next one up. Wimpy guy multivitamins. <laughs> uh real? Wimpy guy multivitamins is not real. Okay. <laughs> okay. I almost imagine that it's like, are you wimpy? This will make you not wimpy. Oh yeah, right. Like you already know, like the the places you'd put those ads, right? Oh, it basically yeah. would would sell itself on that end. Um, let's see here. All right, here we go. Green bulge. Oh, oh. <laughs> It's ridiculous enough that I want it to be fake, but I almost think it's real. I would not be surprised if it was real. We're going to go real. And you are correct. Oh, my God. Bulge. And I feel like this is a name that could go in a million different directions. So I have to read the description here. Green Bulge is a creatine supplement for enhancing strength and performance. But I bet you know. But you guess you never guess by that by going off the name alone. Obviously, green bulge. At first, I was worried this was going to be like a vegetable filled, like basically like erection pill or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's what, that's when I first thought, I was like, I was is, that, is that where I'm going? Green bulge? No, it's not. It's just about bulging biceps, evidently. Okay. But then we're, why green? It does make me think of vegetables, like a superfood green powder thing, but whatever. <laughs> yes, it does. 
It does. Um, I think maybe it, it does have this. Maybe it does have some vitamins in it. Um, but also, if you're thinking, I think the Hulk imagery might be there too. Mm, with it, yeah. There's a lot of different ways you could go with green bulge. Um, <laughs> if you so desired, I don't know if I, I. I can't say I'm in. I haven't. I haven't bought. I haven't purchased that one. Um, I'm still with my <laughs> athletic greens for uh. now. All right. Let's see here. Tough guy powders. It's almost too simple. I'm going to go fake. You are right. All right. How about hot plants for him? Hot plants? Hot plants. Hot plants. Fake. Hot plants for him is real. Hot plants <gasps> is a natural supplement that promotes a strong libido in both men and women. Why is it for him? I don't hot know. Hot plants for him. I don't, I, I'm not <laughs> sure. The name, uh, it's not something hot plants for him and for her. But evidently, it's not. Jackie, you did a great job. Um, Thank you. Got, you. you got a lot of these. These are some of these are are not safe for the podcast. I'd have to bleep out what they are. Um, <laughs> this is my little plug. Remember, people, do your uh, supplements. Try to find ones that are NSF certified, <laughs> so you know that they're third party tested and don't have anything weird in them. <laughs> there you go. I like that. All right. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's all the ones we're gonna go with. Some of these are just not safe for the podcast. Probably not safe for your body either. Truth be told. Probably not. Jackie, this was a lot of fun. If someone wants to learn more about you or the services you provide, where can they go? All right. Well, I'm on Instagram. Uh I'm at fuelbetter.runfaster. You can come find me there. Come over, say hi. I love to talk to people. I have a website. It is JackieKirchnerNutrition.com. And those would probably be the easiest ways to find me. I am very inactive on Twitter. I'm JK underscore the running RD. Um, and I'm on YouTube. But find me on Instagram and my website first and come say hi. There you go. Jackie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This was a good time. Jackie, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Hey, over on Instagram, let me know what you think about is it true or is it fake? I think we can do this for a lot of our guests, especially of our, our professional guests, whether they're in here to do uh, dietary advice like Jackie was or Coach's Corner or what have you. I think we can make this kind of a, an on-running or on-running? That doesn't make any sense. An ongoing um, little segment here on the show. If you don't follow me on Instagram, you can head over to rambling underscore runner over at Instagram. And that's about it. Thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.